You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Chinese-speaking operators are reported to be phishing to compromise devices belonging to Uyghurs. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security issues pipeline cybersecurity regulations. Security companies take various approaches to offering decryptors against ransomware. Huawei would like to chat with President Biden. Rick Howard speaks with authors Peter Singer and Emerson Brooking on their book, Like War, The Weaponization of Social Media. Our guest is Darren Show of Norton LifeLock on the findings of the 6th Annual Norton Cyber Safety Insights Report. And a few notes on privateers then and now, whether on the high Barbary or the dark net. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, May 27th, 2021. Researchers at security firms Checkpoint and Kaspersky report another campaign targeting China's Uyghur minority with messages and sites that impersonate UN and human rights groups. Quote, Attackers use fake United Nations documents and human rights websites to spread malware that has the ability to exfiltrate information and take control of victims' PCs, the report says, adding that the threat actor baited its attack in two ways— They created documents that appear to be from the U.N., using real U.N. information to ensure these looked authentic. The organization principally impersonated was the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights. They also set up websites for non-existent organizations claiming to fund charity groups. Prominent among the NGOs impersonated was the Turkic Culture and Heritage Foundation. The Uyghur are a Turkic people. The campaign appears to have been highly targeted, prospecting a relatively small number of individuals, both Uyghurs living in China and some members of the Uyghur diaspora, mostly resident in Pakistan. The report is reticent about its code-based attribution, saying, although the researchers were unable to find code or infrastructure similarities to a known threat group, they attribute this activity with low to medium confidence to a Chinese-speaking threat actor. When examining the malicious macros in the delivery document, the research team noticed that some excerpts of the code were identical to VBA code that might have appeared in multiple Chinese forums. 
and might have been copied from there directly. That said, the target list is suggestive. It's difficult to come up with a Chinese-speaking threat actor interested in compromising Uyghur targets who wouldn't be working on behalf of the Chinese security services, but that, of course, is merely circumstantial. That, however, is basically the way MIT Technology Review reads the evidence. As expected, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security this morning released its cybersecurity requirements for pipelines. The Transportation Security Administration directive requires pipeline owners and operators to report confirmed and potential cybersecurity incidents to the DHS Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency and to designate a cybersecurity coordinator to be available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It will also require critical pipeline owners and operators to review their current practices as well as to identify any gaps and related remediation measures to address cyber-related risks and report the results to TSA and CISA within 30 days. Those requirements have been imposed, obviously, as part of a response to the dark side ransomware attack that disrupted Colonial Pipeline's operations earlier this month. While control systems were not apparently directly affected by the attack, Colonial's ability to track what it was delivering through its lines was affected. Some sources have represented Colonial's decision to halt operations as a coarsely commercial one. They couldn't bill for the product, so they stopped delivering it. But this seems misleading. Not being able to determine what's moving through your system with high confidence isn't just a business issue, but probably a safety problem as well. The Wall Street Journal reports that Colonial last year passed up a TSA security audit of its systems, offering instead of the in-person audit TSA proposed a virtual inspection instead. TSA said that this happened with several other pipeline operators as well, who were, with the pandemic at its height, limiting their employees' exposure to in-person interactions. As these restrictions eased, operators began rescheduling TSA inspections. Colonial was doing so as the dark side attack hit them. Fast Company thinks organizations should expect more ransomware attacks in the future. The crime in its present form has grown too lucrative, and the tools have now become too commoditized to expect any abatement. The security firm Bitdefender has replied to critics and made its case for releasing ransomware decryptors publicly, as opposed to providing them quietly only to affected organizations. The company argues that because many victims are small and lack dedicated security teams, and because many organizations don't disclose the attacks they suffer, the benefits of a general release of a decryptor outweigh the risks that the criminals will use the decryptor to improve their attack code. MSysoft, well known for providing decryptors, is an example of a security company that takes the other, more targeted approach to decryption. It's offered to help Waikato DHB recover from the ransomware attack the New Zealand Healthcare Agency has sustained. MSysoft gives itself even odds of being able to deliver a decryptor, Stuff reports. Good hunting to both Bitdefender and MSysoft. Nikkei Asia has published an open letter from a Huawei executive to U.S. President Biden in which Huawei urges the two parties to talk. Maybe sovereign-to-sovereign talks, although the letter doesn't put it exactly like that. And finally, signs of connections between criminal groups like Darkseid and the Russian government's organs 
have led, as we saw yesterday, to Cisco's Talos Group's introduction of a new threat category to its taxonomy, privateers. Their discussion of cyber privateering has attracted considerable interest, and it's worth a few brief words about what actually makes a privateer. Privateering was outlawed by international convention in the late 19th century, but it had until then been a recognized form of lawful warfare. Privateers were not pirates. They were mariners who received from their government a letter of mark and reprisal that authorized them to take as prizes the merchant ships of their government's enemies. Thus, privateers were legal combatants. Think of them as naval auxiliaries. The prizes they took were subject to adjudication in admiralty courts, and if they were found to have overstepped the terms of their letter of mark, they could be required to make restitution to the injured shipowners or the merchants whose cargo they'd seized. So, privateers operated under explicit government authorization and within generally recognized limits. This isn't really what's going on with Darkseid and others like them. The category is a useful contribution to the threat taxonomy, and Talos is very probably right to see Darkseid as acting in the interest of and with some form of authorization from the Russian government. But the resemblance to classic privateering stops there. Extorting hospitals and critical infrastructure operators has no coloration of legality, which is no doubt one reason why Moscow has sought to maintain deniability. Cyber privateering is closer in some ways to the state-sponsored terrorism of the Cold War than it is to anything John Paul Jones, to mention one famous Russian admiral, would have recognized as a letter of mark. In any case, if you're a skid working from a tacky walk-up in Chelyabinsk, buddy, then Robert Syorkouf, you ain't. And Captain Barrett probably wouldn't even have considered giving you a berth on the Antelope. And Krasnodor ain't Halifax, neither. No four-pounder for you, sir. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. 
That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The CyberWire's Rick Howard joins us once again with another entry in his series of interviews with cybersecurity authors who've had their books inducted into the prestigious cybersecurity canon. Here's Rick. It's Cybersecurity Canon Hall of Fame week here at the CyberWire, and I'm interviewing all the winning authors for this year. Today's interview is with Peter Singer and Emerson Brooking, the authors of Like War, The Weaponization of Social Media. And I started out by asking Emerson why they both felt compelled to write this book. Because we saw something coming down the pipeline. We had our first conversation about what would become Like War in the summer of 2013, back when everyone in D.C. was talking about a terrorist group called Al-Shabaab out of Kenya. And they were particularly famous for using Twitter and using it very effectively. But even then, we saw that it wasn't just going to be Shabaab. It wasn't just going to be limited to Africa. There were going to be other terrorist groups that are going to use this tool. And that maybe over time, there would be more national militaries who'd be using this as an instrument of warfare as well. But when we had these initial framing conversations, I don't think we even anticipated that it would be the Russians. It would be these clandestine information campaigns targeting the United States, that there'd be a rise of you know white extremism and white nationalism also fomented by social media, and that as soon it would consume our politics to the extent that it has. Military influence operations have been around since the world was young. But so has media influence operations. In the book, the authors cite the Spanish-American War, where the St. Paul Globe newspaper changed its motto in 1894 to live news, latest news, reliable news, but no fake war news. So, it's not that this is a new phenomenon. I asked Peter to explain why it seems so overwhelming today. It's all been put on steroids. It's been driven viral when it's pushed through social media. When people were talking about social media, it was this assumption that it was going to aid the forces of democracy. It was only going to be for the good. And of course, what we found very early on was that it was a weapon and it was a weapon that was being used you know, by terrorist groups, criminal groups, Russian information warriors. But to use that example of the Russians, it was taking the kind of operations that they had done back in the Cold War, but making them move faster and with orders of magnitude greater effect than they'd ever had before. Campaigns that in the past were taking them years to influence a couple thousand people, it was taking them seconds to reach millions of people. The very same thing was playing out in celebrity. But the larger effect that we saw was a little bit of a riff off of the field of cybersecurity. We had become consumed with the idea of someone trying to hack the network. And yet what we were seeing was, in some cases, even greater effect from people hacking the people on the network by driving ideas viral. The book is called Like War, The Weaponization of Social Media. Peter Emerson and I had a long-ranging discussion that covered way more details about the book, including homophily and why the U.S. is particularly vulnerable to these kinds of information operations. Did the Russians effectively change the outcome of the 2016 presidential election? And the things that governments, commercial organizations, and individuals can do to build up a resistance to future attacks. 
You can hear that longer interview in my CSO Perspectives podcast exclusively on the CyberWire Pro subscription service. And congratulations to Peter Singer and Emerson Brooking for their induction into the Cybersecurity Canon Hall of Fame. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. The folks at Norton LifeLock recently released their sixth annual Norton Cyber Safety Insights Report, looking at cybercrime and identity theft. Darren Show is CTO at Norton LifeLock, and he joins us with highlights from the report. This is our sixth annual report, and we we do it for two purposes. One is you really want to get an understanding of how consumers are feeling about cyber safety and privacy needs and concerns, because the cybersecurity landscape is always changing and evolving, right? This year is a particularly interesting year, given of all the changes that happened with COVID-19 and the transformation and acceleration of digital lives. And then we can take this work that comes out of the Cyber Safety Insights Report and then also combine it with what our protection labs is seeing in our telemetry, from our threat telemetry databases. Well, let's dig into that together. I mean, as, as you mentioned, um, I think it's, it's fair to say, and I think all of us understand, that this past year was a bit atypical. But uh, one of the um, results of that is that people spent a lot more time online. In fact, in, in, our, in our cyber safety report, most people, I think it was a little bit over 65%, said they spent more time online than ever before. And of course, this makes perfect sense. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a father uh, working from home for the last year myself. My, my daughter immediately went to an online learning environment. I mean, it felt like it was overnight. And, and so how did that reflect in the findings for this year's report? What, what sort of things are you tracking? Yeah, so you're right. You have a number of people experiencing cybercrime and also just experiencing identity theft. So what we saw was there were about 330 million cybercrime victims over the past 12 months that the survey covered and about 55 million identity victims. You know, Kind of to put that in perspective, you think about that being in the United States, two of five people experience cybercrime as more and more people went online this year. I mean, that's a huge hmm. amount of folks experiencing kind of a double whammy, right? You've got the physical virus taking over the world and impacting us in unimaginable ways. And then we also have kind of the impacts of cybercrime, right? Whether it be from malware or phishing or fraud, right? 
Yeah, I was going to ask you to, to kind of spell out. I mean, what are the spectrum of things that people are experiencing here? What falls into the category of cybercrime as you all tracked it? Right. So, I mean, this covers quite a bit from malicious software to, you know, disruptions from the network access. You know, maybe it is even as you're working from home, having your personal Wi-Fi network uh, attacked or unauthorized access on a smart device that maybe had a web camera or takeover of a social media account or a gaming account as people went online. You know, one thing that was really personal for me was was seeing that, uh, you know, having my child being online, but also having her experience a little bit of bullying um, as she was engaging in chat rooms, which was a brand new experience for her to go online, see her teacher, see her colleagues, and even do kind of what I would call, I guess, a cyber play date, and yet experience and maybe some unwanted, um, you know, interactions um, as people are getting used to this entire new way of living. That's Darren Show from Norton LifeLock. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Haru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.